Welcome to this edition of Turak Chat and today we are joined by a very special guest. I am Christy Kendall, Principal at Turak College. And I'm Alexa Rosakis. And we are joined today by Brooke Satchwell. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Thank you very much, ladies. You obviously sprung to mind for many reasons when we were thinking about fantastic stories from our community because you yourself are a Turak girl. I am. I, I wonder if I qualify technically as an old girl. I guess I do. If you've been around and you've been part of the school community, then I guess it's family, isn't it? It's for life. That's exactly right. Although you don't have to use the term old girl. If it makes you feel more grown up, you can. But otherwise, we prefer the term collegian as we go through. To be perfectly honest with you, I must say um, I'm thoroughly enjoying the ageing process. I'm now talking to you at almost 39 and I love it. So there's definitely something to look forward to there, I think. Absolutely. Well, Alexa knows how old I turned this year. 40. 40. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was subtly done here with, you know, only um, signs out the front of the school. 800 people singing so it's you know very subtle maybe we can organize the same for you I'd love it (laughs) Brooke we we would so Alexa's also here because she has such a massive interest in all things drama and and media and I and so many of our students do could you share with us a little bit of of your journey what what led you into your career how many times did people tell you get a real job? Well, you'd be surprised to learn that actually my very first foray, I think it, I think it might have been the embryonic stages into um, the creative arts and um, professional media work was through Turak College. It was our school fate day. This must have been back in about 1994 or 95. And Ocean Girl, which was a children's program back in the 90s, doing what is alarmingly called a cattle call. And they'd come to our school. I was egged on by uh, a number of my friends to take a number and do the shuffle across the stage. And um, when the list went up this Saturday on the school fate day, my name was on it amongst a number of other girls. I actually thought I was showing a lot of initiative because I looked down the list and at the end they had um, the the address and it was kind of the letterhead that the um, notice had been printed on. So I took down the address and I took down my audition time. It was on the Saturday when we were in the school fate. That was the day of the callbacks and the other girls that were going in said to me oh did you learn the script and I said what script what do you mean so we had to break into the offices at school (laughs) and we had to find the script that was in in the office Um, and I learned it in the car on the way up with my mum obviously being a peninsula girl it's a fair trek up to the city that was pre um, East Link days I was a jumble of nerves and excitement on the way up and then mum said absolutely non-responsive and silent on the way back but that was my my first proper audition and it came about through um through Turak College. Were you successful in getting the part? No. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No I wasn't. It was further down the track I was actually um I was actually off school sick uh and my mum had a children's clothing business down in the Dramana Industrial Estate and as life is curious and strange, a woman came in and she was selling children's books and um, she saw me there and, you know, truth be told, I had gastro and a cat scratch down my face and um, she said, oh, have you ever considered doing any television or modelling? And we thought she was absolutely bonkers and um, it was pretty funny. But we took the opportunity. She worked for a casting agent in Melbourne, Chameleon Casting. Through contact with her, I went in for a number of ad castings and I appeared as a foot in a Clark 
Clark School Shoe commercial and a, a hand in a Just Jeans commercial. And I discovered this is back in the 90s again, as I say, um, and it was the, the day of the focaccia. So there were a lot of focaccia sandwiches and Ruffles chips and things like that. And I realised they fed you every day, sometimes up to three times a day with dessert with every meal. And I thought, this is an industry I want to be in. Where do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, so from foot to hand, Ruffles chips, I can see these were deep connections with your artistry. Um, <laughs> it's a gut instinct. <laughs> How did this go from uh, the the excitement of three meals a day to to a, to career? a professional career? Because <laughs> I haven't quite joined the dots yet here. Well, this is and this is I must say, and I'm sure we'll talk about this at some stage. But this is the mo- my most favourite thing about working in this industry, and something I'm incredibly grateful for. I entered a work environment where I was working with people from 18 months, nine months old to 90 years old and everybody had come to this industry from their own unique pathway and so I was able to learn by experience very early on that there is no one way of doing things and there is no right way or linear way and I think that is a hugely invaluable lesson but in terms of my foray into a professional career in acting uh, it was not long after doing those those ads and all the makeup artists that I'd worked with had little pearls of wisdom and they said oh you must get an agent so I did and I sat on a children's agency books for about 12 months with no work and no auditions and then I had two auditions in one week and one was for an ABC children's series and the other was for Neighbours. It was two weeks later I got off the school bus and I was about to go mop floors at the milk bar that I worked at in Shoreham and my mum was waiting in the car and she had a little card and a gift and I'd got the job and two weeks later I started working at Global Studios in Nunawading and life was very different all of a sudden. Um, people often think that your your industry is a glamorous one, uh, uh, as there are in all professions. What, what are the things that are really hard? Well, I remember then being, I was two weeks, it was two weeks before my 16th birthday that I got the job on Neighbours. Um, the, the ladies in the tuck shop actually would often say to me, um, oh, so do they pick you up after school and, and you know, is it fun? And I was like, no, they, they pick me up at three in the morning and I go to work and I will often shoot until one, two o'clock. And I think, I think even then there were still restrictions around um, minors working in the industry and, and the hours you're allowed to work. I'm not really sure exactly what they were back then because I still remember working roughly 80-hour work weeks and still being at school at Turak. So I would get into the taxi at three in the morning with my pillow and I had a regular driver that would come pick me up. I would travel in there and quite often I'd go back to school after filming and then maybe go back to the studios or else go home to a tutor. And my weekends were all working with tutors as well because I was in year nine at the time, uh, or no, maybe year 10. I obviously was about to launch into VCE as well. So that was a very complex thing to be navigating, working those hours, studying, and I guess also this is a time when the internet was still being built. We didn't have social media. Everybody didn't have a platform um, and a public profile. Uh, so it was still quite an exotic occupation. Um, so I was navigating just the normal things you navigate with friendships and, and growing up at that age, but with having this very unusual element. It was so exciting for everybody, but it was very challenging in a way as well because it's not a world they were familiar with and it certainly changed my life trajectory and trying to, I guess, assimilate that with the life that I had been 
been living up until that date and what I thought I was going to be doing as I moved through the rest of my teenage years. That was, it's, it's a really interesting exercise in kind of letting go of expectations, I guess. So yeah, it's, that's a, obviously a very wide ranging conversation, which we can delve into further. Absolutely. When you were at school, did you have a passion for acting and and at any point did you know that you wanted to make it your career? I was very involved um, in the drama program at Turak. Uh, That was prior to the drama building being built. I think funds were being raised for it back at that time and um, there was definitely a very strong focus for sport within the school at that stage. I was involved in the school productions. I loved the Rocker Steadfords. They were some of my favourite days and I loved that um, sense of community um, that came out of working on a production and and everybody being in it together and that still to this day is one of my favorite things about being about the onset environment I suppose I hadn't really thought about it at that stage as a long-term career I always put on Christmas performances for our family and I'd be the one dressing up my cousins and my sister and kind of pushing them out and and pulling the strings from behind and I was very heavily involved in photography um, and and um, all, the, all the photos that were in my project and uh, part of my um, end of year project and I'm still really proud of them. I, I hadn't, normally you go to school to decide what you're going to be when you grow up and I was suddenly presented with an opportunity beyond anything that I probably could have imagined at that age. So I kind of went with the tide a little bit. It wasn't so much a conscious choice and I know it was definitely something that my parents had to take into consideration Obviously, you know, their duty of care to their their 16-year-old daughter going into an adult work environment, they were very concerned about what that would mean for me schooling-wise, personally, even just the, the freedom aspect because it's certainly um, – it, it, it takes up a lot of your life and to suddenly have a public profile at a young age is, is a curious thing. But they also knew that it was such a big opportunity that they didn't, they didn't want to stand in the way of that. So they were definitely concerned, but they were immensely supportive. And to their credit, they did an extraordinary amount of, of research um, trying to find the, back in the day, there was a thing called the Actors Advisory Board. And I know my mum spoke to them quite regularly. Um, even my uh, aunties who'd worked in uh, local community theatre, they were checking in with them so they, they followed every avenue they could so that we could be as aware as we could going into this um, and I also remember um, one of the other young cast members on Neighbours at the time um, my parents spoke to their um, mother and she said look it's a world that you can't really comprehend until you step inside it and that turned out to be incredibly true so no it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision but um you know these opportunities have have presented themselves and I think sometimes things comes come into your life um that in a, at a conscious level you don't necessarily you don't necessarily have the awareness of, of what it means to you at the time but it's maybe some kind of Um, universal pull taking you towards a destiny that's right for you Um, and sometimes it is definitely worth trusting that. We've got an empower network here at the moment with the students where they're linked to thousands of collegians who can offer the year 11's advice on courses and pathways and suggestions and and it's it's been a really powerful tool but one of the things I think it's brought up is that you've got to open your eyes to what opportunity may present as well that being so determined to get to an end point could mean that you miss all of these little openings along the way. An approach you've kind of consciously 
adopted in your in your decisions? Absolutely, I think. From again, like I say, you know, this environment afforded me an understanding of, like I say, the very varied pathways that people can travel to get into any circumstance. But it also um, over gosh, now 25 years of doing this, lesson that keeps being reiterated over and over again is an element of surrender. I think the more you can stop trying to control your external circumstances and be at peace with what is and be present to what is, it frees you up to respond in a more authentic way, which is ultimately going to be more satisfying for you as well. It may not be something that you can clearly articulate or understand in terms of why it is you're doing it or or where it's going to lead to. But the more I have accepted what's in front of me and and embraced that, it's 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 rocket fuel. It's really interesting. Um, it really it's it's a, it frees you up to enjoy what it is you're doing. And I think the more joyful and present you are. Uh, the more things flow easily and lead you to the next exciting opportunity or something that is incredibly satisfying. Very controversially, a few years ago, I actually took part in a comedy series on the ABC called Black Comedy. And it was through a friend of a friend saying, would you mind doing this? And I had uh, had one day, 12 hours to prepare. And my character was a white woman who thought she was a black woman. And so I had to learn to speak (laughs) with an Indigenous accent and with all the intonations. And there I was walking around the park with my fluffy white dog and the writer's um, voice reading out the dialogue in my ears. And I went to work the next day and we're shooting this scene and I thought, Oh my goodness, what am I doing? I'm, I'm going to be Jonah Mark II. I'm going to be deported. I'm never going to work in this country again. This is crazy. Uh, as it was a fortnight later when it went to air, I happened to be overseas actually at the time and I was sitting um, by myself in sideways rain. It wasn't a pretty tropical day. The phone started going crazy. People really responded to that. It was the whole-bodied commitment <laughs> because I was so terrified. I just leapt 100% at this obligation that I had or this, this role to execute. That t- it turned out to be quite a, a pivotal moment career-wise for me because it was so out of the box and so um, unexpected, but it also rang incredibly true a lot of um, people said we know people who are exactly like that and this is this is true this is this is real that had a flow-on effect career-wise where I had been working in commercial network television um, and we all know how homogenized that's been historically and finally those um, frontiers are being broken down I think over the last 10 years and more significantly the last five or so but for me personally it really broke the stereotype or perhaps the perception people had held about me and what I could do creatively it really shattered that in a way. So I would never have predicted that that would be a highlight or a turning point in my career, but just by trying to support a friend and being courageous enough to do something that in some ways at the time felt incredibly incredibly wrong, (laughs) Um, I've brought a lot of joy into people's lives and it's afforded me some great opportunities as well. So again, like I say, things aren't always what they necessarily present. It sounds very curly and like unhelpful advice, but I think that again goes back to that idea of just being present and open to, to what's in front of you. What advice would you give to aspiring actors um, or even directors or anyone in the film and TV industry about how to pursue their dreams? I think, again, it's such an unruly beast, the creative industry, and it's 
changing rapidly at the moment. I mean, now that we have these um, uh, multimedia platforms, which I remember when they were first introduced, um, I guess, 15, 16 odd years ago, and everybody was marvelling and saying, how are we going to legislate this? How are we going to use these platforms? How's it all work? And there was literally the opportunity to write something down on a scrap of paper and put it in a suggestion box. And this is from the higher ups who are running the joint. And that was very concerning. Um, And just as a side note, I'm sure you guys are aware, obviously, there's a lot of questions around fake news and and the integrity of things online and these questions were being raised then and here we are all this time later and it hasn't I remember thinking at the time that's crazy how could that even be a possibility but here we are so things are rapidly evolving and I think courage exposure and experience are the three main things that are going to serve you if this is a path that you want to take nobody really knows the answers to anything you can take that as an absolute and trust that. What I have found increasingly as well in the last few years, you have an incredible wealth of life experience and ultimately the creative arts is storytelling and it's holding a mirror up to who we are as people and as a society. And your life experience, no matter where it's come from or what you've learned uh, or how you've learned that over the years, is definitely applicable. It's just having the courage or the, um, I use the word surrender, but it's a, an awareness to adapting that and kind of shifting your paradigm a little bit and going, well, these are the things I know. How does that integrate with what I'm trying to achieve now? Quite often there are skills or, or understandings you might have from even getting through crazy assignments that you never thought you'd finish on time or, you know, math. I mean, that was always my tricky one as well. Things that you just don't think that you, the the, the insurmountable um, or incredible challenges, but by working your way through those, it's giving you the skills and it's giving you a, a broadened perspective, which is immensely useful in the creative arts because like I say it's it's kind of um it's an open landscape and it's down to you interpreting that and, and what that means for you. Brooke our, our paths crossed in fact I was I think I was just out, out of high school at university and um, my husband and I were dating in year 12. He was just starting um, a bit of a career in the IT industry so as every young good girlfriend does she goes to targeting Keyside and buys him an IT book and you were there. <laughs> And you were and still are very much admired by my husband. My love for him was so great that I was going to get out of my comfort zone and I walked up to you in Target and I said, excuse me, but would you mind signing this book for my boyfriend? And you grabbed the book and you wrote on the inside cover, at least it's not the idiot's guide, Brooke. (laughs) That actually rings a bell. And, and, and this is, it's, it's been a bit of a, you know, foundation, you know, in, in, in our house of, you know, at least it's not the idiot guide. Oh, Brooke was so funny. Uh, uh, but <laughs> so insightful at such a young age. <laughs> quirky, I love it. But, but the thing that really stands out to me in that, I, I'm really interested, you talked about a time where social media didn't exist for you and, and the commentary that goes with it. Has your behaviour had to change over time with social media and how do you deal with public criticism? One of my favourite anecdotes that I often share in interviews when they ask how I started, I remember the computer room up above the cloisters there. I don't know if it's still there now. And it had the big clunky desktops in there. Um, And I was the kind of girl that used to cheat in 
computer studies. Like when they say, don't look at your fingers, I was like, oh, okay, yep, no, I'm looking. Okay, <laughs> that's not my bag. Yeah, I remember I was being picked up by the neighbours runner and it was when chat rooms were first a thing. And I remember being in the computer room and it was with like a little flashing cursor on the screen and it was literally just lines of conversation. It wasn't obviously what we, we know today as social media. And I remember I got this incredible, like it was almost like a full body rush of excitement of, oh my God, there's people there and they want to talk to you. And this is so exciting. And we're talking through a computer and this is amazing. Like, crazy. Um, but it really, I had a physiological response to it, which I say, because I do think with what it has evolved to, of course, that is what we experience when we look at likes or when we see other people's um, lives in their sort of curated form um, on social media. So for me, that was my first experience of that. And then because I then proceeded to work for the next three years, um, 80 hour work weeks, and I missed a lot of 18th birthday parties and I missed, you know, going to Bunnings on the weekend with my family and doing things like that it was very well it was paramount for me that I maintained a personal connection to the people in my life but at the same time I also became very fixated on the idea that I had to show them that I hadn't changed because I suddenly was afforded this um public profile and you know I had strangers talking to me in the street and people doing my hair and makeup for for things and there was like a fanciful element to that where I was you know kind of had this elevated profile I never actually joined social media ever because I was so dedicated to having cups of tea with people or going for dog walks so I'm a, I'm a bit of an anomaly in that respect to to discuss it on a personal level because I really I guess I'm a, I call myself like a rebel without a cause like the social media outcast because I actively revolted against it and in fact when I moved to Sydney, um, it was just after I'd finished Neighbours, I had worked on a theatre production in Sydney Botanic Gardens, the, the Caribbean Tempest. So it was a Caribbean-inspired version of Shakespeare's Tempest, um, a wild experience and another story. But I actually still, and I still to this day have, my Hotmail address that was Chook on the Moon because my name was Chook, my nickname, and I figured if I was going to be in Sydney, I may as well be on the moon. Now, subsequently, 20-odd years later, that's now become my company. Company is Chook on the Moon. But I very much operated that way. So I have never had that aspect. That's not to say that there aren't ways for me now to access that. We all know that you can stalk people on Instagram without having an Instagram account and you can see things. And I do notice that if I fall down that rabbit hole, it certainly affects my my perspective on the world. It, is, it affects how I feel. It affects what I am valuing. Like I'm, I'm always amazed given I don't have it as a daily connection of mine. I don't have a feed that pops up. I don't see what my friends are doing. And I do feel like I miss out sometimes because of that. But by the same token, I also then have this contrast of when I do enter that world to see how much it dramatically affects my perspective. And I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I often say I wasn't raised to live with my blinds up on the front of my house and say, hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing. That's just wasn't my value system. I really think there is an element of that. I know people say, oh, it's so good for when you're traveling and keeping in contact and making contacts. And that's true. But it definitely comes with the with the the, the knife's edge of, of the other side. And that is the trade-off that you make. Um, so I think, you know, engaging in those things, I think you have to see them for the tools that they are rather than thinking it is a true form of communication because I actually don't believe that 
it really supports that in a way that is fulfilling or in a way that matches the beauty of being in the same space as someone else or actually being present with someone and listening to what they have to say. I really strongly believe that. Now, of course, everybody else isn't the same as me and they have social media accounts and they make comments. And I have navigated that over 25 years. Everything from Brooke Satchwell's got a moustache which I do, I have a pigmentated pig, pigmentation moustache because um, I didn't put enough sunscreen on and one of the makeup artists used to make me wax my moustache, um, truth be told, and I got pigmentation and now I have that and people sometimes see that on screen. So people would comment on that and I'd be frustrated and, you know, obviously they'd be very derogatory about it and that could hurt, but I actually, and I'd love to have the opportunity to respond to that and say, come on guys, this is what it is, but really what does it matter? I also had it on a really personal level. I had the misfortune of being in the Taj Hotel when the Mumbai attacks took place. And I remember after we had made our way out of India, we were waiting, we'd been in Sydney and then we we're flying back to see family in Melbourne. And it had been a long three days and not a lot of sleep and obviously incredibly traumatic. And we were still, because the event was playing out, it hadn't been resolved at that stage. And we were suddenly so far removed from it. We were following it um, through the news. That was, I think, sort of early days of um, comments down the bottom of news articles. And there'd been some misquotation about what my movements had been. And it was implied that I'd actually gone back into the hotel because I'd forgotten my charger. Now, you've seen human beings, you can guess that that wasn't the true nature of the story. But the vitriol and the the cruelty and also referencing other elements of my life and basically what should have happened to me and what I deserved. Of all things in that three-day experience, that's what actually broke me. And I remember sitting in the airport because we were delayed, there were thunderstorms and I, and I burst into tears after having gone through all of those things. It was those words that actually finally brought me undone. Um, so it's certainly something that has existed alongside my occupation and particularly because I've worked in a lot of um, commercial network drama which is the kind of um, programming that people treat like you're part of the furniture because you're in their lounge rooms every day and, and they kind of had that at the extraordinary familiarity so there's been an awful lot of commentary I mean look to be honest I also dealt with some um, very early death threat sides of things and some pretty incredible things on message boards and we had federal police involved and and this is when I was still at school um so I've kind of dealt with the gamut of it even not being involved and I think that's just strengthened my resolve but ultimately I I guess I see it as something that it's something that's evolved out of our need to connect as human beings but it isn't something that is supported by my value system and I really think it's um I think it's the path forward for everybody to um, concentrate on the integrity and the richness of the connections in their with their people in life. So you can network and you can do all of those things, but it's all going to be immensely more valuable if it's something you do in person as you. And I think what this podcast has done is, you know, you, you said it you said it beautifully at the start. N no one has all the answers. So when we do these, when we do our podcasts, when you listen to mentors, when you look at what people are doing, what you're doing is actually taking a whole lot of, of stories and examples and choosing the ones that fit for you. For me, I say to the girls all the time, it's a, it's a shame that they're in a school where almost all of the staff in a school went through university and did an education degree and we all went through this very similar journey. Bringing them people with different journeys, different experiences is exactly what I think creates the richness 
for them to create their own choices. So look, and I, I really agree with you. And to be honest, that's something that I probably struggled with. Like I said, you know, I spent that time trying to prove to people that I hadn't changed and I was working considerable hours. And I think there was probably about eight years straight there um, from getting off the school bus that day to when I finally had a pause in my professional career. Um, so that's, we're talking like the ages of 16 to I don't know, 24, I guess. Um, and that was, there was a lot to process and a lot to assimilate when finally the train pulled into the station and started to slow. And that was really tricky to navigate because I think if there's not enough space in your life or enough downtime, if you don't kind of cultivate that or you haven't been given the tools to do that, it all sits inside you and it's going to need a place to be expressed somewhere down the line. And that's certainly, I guess, what happened for me after eight years of work and, and you know, for, for all intents purposes perceived as being incredibly successful and, um, you know, what more could you want, all of these things, living the dream. And it was really tricky because I hadn't had those incremental stages that I expected to have as, uh, you know, through my teens, I had, I hadn't gone to university as I expected to do. I hadn't done the share house thing. I hadn't kind of done all those rites of passage, the pub crawls, the this, the other, like I hadn't done any of those things and kind of learnt by those experiences. And I also, there wasn't a common language, I guess, for me and the friends that I'd grown up with, because our paths had diverged in such a way. Now, um, the beauty is, as we've all progressed further through life, again, as we say, there are no distinct answers. There's no right way. And, you know, they've, they're now mothers and, and they've done university or they've kind of lived and life has changed and taken left turns and right turns unexpectedly and we now can come back together and have those conversations but I guess I did it kind of preemptively I did it at, a, at an incredibly young age and I wouldn't change it for the world and everything the sum total of each event has brought me to where I am now and I'm incredibly happy with that because it's made me the person that it, that I am yeah it, it is interesting and I think expectation is a big one actually I think the hardest thing to let go of is the perception of what you think is to come because it never really marries with what truly happens I think the more again like I say going back to being present to the moment the more you can if you're going to commit to anything, commit to that because these visions that you have, I figure you always end up exactly where you want to be. It just never looks like you anticipated. Alexa's got a big future ahead of her in the industry and we were thinking maybe we'd run a little scene and put something on her showreel. Yeah. Now, it's, it's about the same prep as you're going to have in the car on your way to your ocean girl audition. Yeah. And to be honest, things don't really change. I'm still doing that sometimes. Don't tell anyone. So this will be some of your best work. Now, Now it's a scene from Bold and the Beautiful. Yes. Great. Because if we're going to do this, we go all out. Okay. Are you Steffi or are you Phoebe? No, I, I, no, I thought I'd leave Phoebe's dramatics to you. And then Alexa at the end, because you see there's actually two pictures in, 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 your, in the highly technical thing I sent you. There's two pics at pictures. Taylor is going to come in right at the end and give us two lines. Okay, great. And Alexa is going to be right there, yes. and this is going to be the start of her show reel. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, this is what we, we call a cold read. I've not seen any of these lines before, so it's going to be exciting. Give us, give us some notes to come into the scene. What, do, what are you wanting out of this scene? Okay, so I'm thinking really, really try and feel the character. We want really ultra-dramatic overly maybe overly feminine for one of the characters overly feminine and dramatic okay we can work with that okay Let's in the true nature done. of bold and the beautiful okay right. i'm ready to go <laughs> will you stop thinking about rick he's not worth your energy i was just so naive you know i mean i trusted him completely 
Then he got involved with mom and hit on you. You know, I would never have done anything. No, I know. But just that he would try. God, he's disgusting. But he's out for revenge. I told you, that's all he thinks about. Yeah, that's why he got involved with me in the first place. I thought he loved me. Stop, Phoebe. You've got to let this go. You two in the middle of something? Uh, no, 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 wait, we're good. You're sure? Because I have some news. I'm pregnant with Rick's baby. Oh! Alexa, that accent was amazing. Thank you, Brooke. Oh, well done, well done. Fantastic, fantastic. I think amazing. I just sent it straight into Ocean Girl. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I think that was, that was brilliant. Do you know one interesting thing? And I guess this kind of applies to life. Never stop. Keep going. That's a magic rule in, in our world You do because you never know what magic's going to come and sometimes the accidents are the best bit. We were doing this scene and it was all very intense and it was working really well. And for some strange reason at a particular moment in the scene, I laughed. I just one little laugh. I don't know what it was. I don't know if I hit a point of discomfort or confusion or what had happened. And I, it was just this little... <laughs> And I sort of sucked it in and we kept going with the scene. Now that ended up in the actual episode, that ended up part of the scene and it worked beautifully because it actually read as a correct choice in the context of that scene. And everyone was saying to me, that's amazing. Like, it's so great that you made that choice. And it's like, it was an accident. It was the strangest impulse that just came from me in that moment. And it turned out to be something that everybody praised. So you don't let go of the play. You just trust that. And you keep going and even when it gets uncomfortable and it gets a bit weird or it gets you don't really understand what's going on, you stay with it, you stay with it, you stay with it, you come out the other side and it's genius. Thanks so much, Brooke. Oh, my pleasure, ladies. Join us next week when we interview Dr. Catherine Granger, Turak College collegian and one of ABC's top five female scientists.